All right, guys, so we're going we're gonna to finish up uh, the book of Jonah today, the last two chapters. Uh, I've entitled this lesson Nineveh because that's really where the focus is as far as his ministry and the aftermath of his ministry. We're going to learn something about our human nature a little bit today with this lesson as well. Because what you're going to come in contact with today is a, is a prophet who ends up, first of all, who ran from God, who didn't want to do what God told him to do. Well, he goes and does what God told him to do. And then he gets, uh, well, let's, I would say frustrated, but that's, I guess, too soft a word. He gets angry with God because God didn't do things the way he thought God should do them. Okay? You think that's normal? But by the way, does God do things the way we don't want him to? Does he do something different than what we think is the way it should happen? Okay. And when that happens, because we get things in our mind, and we think this is the way it should be, and God's going to act this way. When he doesn't, we get what? We get angry, right? And so this is exactly what happens with this prophet. He really does not want to go there. Okay, he goes there and he proclaims the message. And he really doesn't want the outcome that happens. He wants a different outcome. Because he's got it in his mind the way it should be. But the problem is God. And he even says that. I mean, this is what's so interesting about this book is that he expresses his feelings about what he knows about God. And so we're going to kind of go through this together. They're two short books, but I think we can get a lot from them. So why don't we look, first of all, we're going to look at his obedience in chapter 3. So I want you to notice with me verses 1 to 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was, was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in extent. Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth, and from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works that they had turned from their evil way. God relented from the disaster that he said he would 
bring upon them, and he did not do it. All right, so let's take a look at this. We're going to talk about his obedience here and what God's actions are because of that obedience. All right, so first thing I want you to see is, is the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, telling him to go to Nineveh. So God basically reinstitutes the call. Remember, it's the same call that he gave him the first time, but the first time he was headed towards Tarshish. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. Well, now that Jonah is back in the presence of the Lord in Israel, he sends a word again telling him to go to Nineveh. So he was to prophesy against the city with the message that the Lord tells him. So he was supposed to go and preach this message that God tells him to preach. Okay? God tells him to preach. Now, the journey to Nineveh, in obedience to the Lord, Jonah traveled to Nineveh, which would be a several days journey. Nineveh would be located in what we would know of today as Syria. Okay? So from northern, from northern Israel to Syria, it would be about a three days journey or so. The writer describes Nineveh as a great city that takes three days to travel across. Three days to travel across. So this is how big, this is so spread out that to get from one end and populated to the other, it would take you three days to get across. That's how great the city was. Now here's his ministry. This is just the simple Here's a guy who doesn't want to do it anyhow, but here's the simple message God tells him. Jonah entered the city and proclaimed a simple message. This is You can't get any more simpler than this. Here it is. He proclaimed that in 40 days the city of Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. That was his only message. He goes from one end, just walks a straight path through, proclaiming a message that in 40 days... The city is going to be overthrown. He doesn't say why. He doesn't say who. Did you understand what I'm saying? That's his message. Okay? And he does it. And then the unexpected happens. Because, okay, by the way, uh, when you see somebody on a street corner holding a sign or proclaiming something, it's the end of the world or God save the cats or something, you know what I'm saying? What do you, when you're driving by and you see them, what do you normally think? What, what is your typical response when you see that? They're nuts. Do you stop and ponder their message? No, not usually. Is Bruce the only one who's like that? No, we're, we're all, I mean, so... I don't think things have changed through the centuries, right? You know what I'm saying? Here's a guy. He's obviously not from Nineveh, so he's not a Syrian. And he's traveling through, and he just proclaims this simple message, and you would think that would be it. Well, there's a response. People from every level of society believe God and humbled themselves. Now, let me just stop for a moment. When it says believe God here, it's not talking about a saving faith, okay? It's not talking about a saving faith here. Now, it's a saving faith in the sense of it's going to save them from disaster, but if they acknowledge God, 
Well, what do you mean it's not a saving faith, George? Well, in order for you to be a part of the chosen, the promise, primarily you would have to be associated with who? Yeah, Israel. And there would be a process for God-fearers to become a part. It's called proselyting, okay? These folks didn't just all of a sudden become bent towards the God of Israel. They just believed that he, remember they're polytheistic, they have many gods, so this one God said he's going to, they're going to believe this God, and so they humbled themselves, all right? They humbled themselves. Now, when they humbled themselves, what did they do? They fasted, which means they go without water, excuse me, without food for a certain period of time. But beyond that, they put aside their clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. Now, does anybody know what sackcloth is? Yeah, it's like a burlap bag. Yeah. It's, it's really comfortable material, isn't it? Yeah, and so they would put that on, and then they would put on ashes. Where? Throw ashes on their head. Okay? And it's all a sign, a public sign, because they're very much in outward appearance of humility. Okay? So they're being humble here. Now, when the king heard the word of the prophet, he humbled himself and made a proclamation. So when the king hears this, he does the very same thing. He takes off his royal robes and he puts on burlap, sackcloth, and, and ashes. And so he's mourning, okay? So then the king called for the people and their animals to be humbled. So he wanted a, a fast for them all to fast and the animals to fast. And for the animals to be clothed in sackcloth as well. What does that mean? Probably hanging burlap off of them or something. I don't know. But now, anybody find this interesting? Here's the people who really don't worship God. Have you thought about this any? How, how is it that the simple message, 40 days, I'm going to overthrow the city, they believe God and they humble themselves? What do you think is going on here? How do, you, how do you think they came to this kind of understanding? Yeah, God opened their eyes. Yeah, that's exactly right. This, I guess that's the point I want you to get to. God opened their eyes to what was happening. And so they responded what? Yeah, they responded the way they needed to. And they stopped what? Their, their wickedness, which was violence, is the key thing that it keeps being mentioned here, violence. Probably violence towards each other. Okay, so they stopped. It was God working in this. And so God worked in their hearts, and they, they come and humble themselves. And so the king is proclaiming, you know, that all this happens. So he proclaimed that, the, that it is possible that God will turn away from his anger. So there's a hope there, right? Maybe God will what? Turn away from his anger. So they're hoping in what? The goodness of God, okay? They're hoping in the goodness of God. And so here's what happens. The Lord relents. By the way, can I tell you that? God relents. 
Sometimes we need to realize that. Sometimes we need to realize that God relents, okay? Here it is. The Lord saw the works of their works of humility and their turning away from their evil ways. So he saw that. So guess what? He relented from his declaration and did not bring judgment upon them. He relented. Now, what does that show you about God? The God of the Old Testament, by the way. What does that show you about God? Yeah, he's forgiving and gracious, right? Now, is that the common perception that we have of God from the Old Testament? Is that what you hear people saying, the God of the Old Testament? What do you typically hear? Okay, so typically what you hear is, is he's ready to drop the hammer. So here's a city he's going to drop the hammer on. But this passage makes it clear, what? That he, what? Relents. He's gracious. I think it's interesting. Other prophets would say he takes no delight in the destruction of the wicked. God is not happy about people going to hell. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's not happy about people experiencing judgment at all. And that's the God of the Old Testament. That's not even getting to the New Testament. By the way, the God of the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. We don't make the distinction. Okay? We don't make the distinction. So we see Jonah's obedience. Well, chapter 4, I've entitled it Jonah's anger. Okay? Because now you're going to see how the prophet reacts. Because, by the way, is this the outcome that Jonah wants? No. What does he want? He wants their destruction. Okay? So here's what I want you to see. Look with me at chapter 4, verse, through one, verse 1 through verse 11. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant to loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and made himself a shelter. And he sat under it in the shade till he might see what, be, what, be, what would become of the city. The Lord prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be, a, be shade for his head and deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. It happened 
that when the sun arose, God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, You have pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons? Who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? And that's the end of the chapter. All right, so let's talk about this. Because here's a guy who's angry. He expected God to do something. God didn't do it. He actually did something else, which he kind of figured would happen. But it's really an interesting discussion. So let's talk about it. First of all, Jonah reacts. Jonah was very displeased when the Lord relented and became angry. So now he's upset. He's angry. He prayed and told the Lord that this is why he fled from his presence. All right, so remember, we, we, don't, we aren't really told in chapter 1 why exactly he fled. We just know that he got the call to go, and off he went, paid for a passage, got on a ship, he's headed for Tarshish. Here in chapter 4, Jonah tells us exactly why he fled. He fled because he knew God would let them get away with it. Quote, get away. Isn't that what we say? You let him get away with it. He, he fled because he knew that God would relent from his destruction of them and let them survive. You know what I'm saying? Be gracious to them and everything. And he didn't want that. So he heads on out. Because here's the thing. He feels he's responsible, probably, because he's the one who proclaimed the what? Message. And the people did what to the message? They responded in the right way. You know what I'm saying? So he didn't want to do that, so he was out of there. So he prayed and told the Lord that this is why he fled from his presence. He stated, now this is what he knows about God. Now isn't this interesting? Jonah knows this about God. Here's what he says. Jonah stated that he knew that the Lord was gracious and merciful. Okay, so this is, throughout the scripture, God is proclaimed as gracious and merciful. He, he stated then that the Lord was slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. By the way, the slow to anger, I think some of us need to remind ourselves of that. Because we think as soon as we do something wrong, God's ready to, to be angry with us. I, he's actually a little bit more patient with us than that. He's slow to anger. And he's what? He's abundant in loving kindness. This is who God is. He also stated that the Lord was one who relents from doing harm. A better way to say that is God gives second chances. Would you agree with that? Yeah, isn't that true in our lives? Aren't we glad for that? He relents. Do you know what I'm saying? And so, so he, he knows this about God. This is what is amazing to me. 
Jonah knows that this is the way the Lord is, but here's the problem. Jonah asks the Lord to take his life since it would be better that he died. What do you think is going on here with the prophet? What do, what do you think is going on with him? I mean, here he is. He's upset. He knows that God is this way. When you look at who God is, man, what a description of God, right? And But he's angry, and he says it would be better for me just to be dead. Why would he say that? Okay, Rob says pride. You think it's, he's more angry at himself because he feels that way about God. Okay, that's interesting, Gene. Okay. Anybody else got somebody, another thought, maybe? Okay. Yeah, probably not. Oh, yeah, you're exactly right. <laughs> yeah, and, and you said it, John, self-pity. Do you know what I'm saying? Self-pity. He's, he's just miserable because what he wanted didn't happen. He figured God should be with the program and do what he's supposed to do, and he didn't. He actually, God was with his own program, which he, by the way, says, I know what your program is. Mercy. Yes, mercy and grace and patience. That, I think that's. I think you actually are hitting on something, Tim, and that is, would he feel betrayed? Yeah, I think he would be. Yeah, because here's the thing, and this is true not just for Jonah; it's true for all of us. We become convinced that God should act certain ways, whether it's in our lives, in our communities, in our church, or even in our world with our country. And when God doesn't do that, we feel betrayed. You know, again, I've referred to this before with you. If you if you go to Matthew, I think it's the eleventh chapter. John sends two disciples. He's in prison. He's the forerunner of the Messiah. He's in prison. He sends two disciples to ask Jesus because he hears all these glowing reports, and he says, "Hey, are are you the one, or should we be looking for another?" And Jesus says, "Go back and tell John what you see." And so he quotes three passages from Isaiah. And they all talk about the lame walking, the blind being made to see, people are fed. But one of the passages leaves off, Jesus leaves off part of the verse, which is he sets the captives free. And then he follows it up by, blessed is he who's not offended because of me. Now, I remember reading that. I'm like, man, what, what is he? I mean, I understand. What does that got to do with anything? Well, it's got everything to do with it when you realize what passages it's from. And what he leaves off, it's basically saying to John, John, I am the one. But you're going to die there. And blessed are you if you are not offended because of me. Because let's be honest, sometimes it's easy to get offended with God, right? You think Jonah's offended with God? Yeah, sometimes it's easy because we have it in our mind that, God, I did everything you told me to do. And the outcome still didn't happen. 
Wasn't what I thought it was. So there, betrayal would be a good point there, Tim. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so we can relate to him. So he says, he says to the Lord, take my life since it would be better that he died. Now, here's the interesting thing. The Lord asked Jonah if it is right for him to be angry. Now, that is a great question. There's no response there. But is it really okay for you to be that angry about this? That's really what the question is. You're doing what I told you to do. Is it really okay for you to be that angry? Sometimes we need to realize that. It's okay to vent your anger to the Lord, but to a point, because you see that in the Psalms. The psalmist will vent, but then come right back around and what? Affirm and praise God. Do you understand what I'm saying? But sometimes we can get to the point where we, we, we can get an attitude towards God. I have met people who have, who have attitudes towards, towards God. They don't want nothing to do with him because he didn't show up. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? He didn't do what he was supposed to do. So he asked Jonah, is it right for him to be angry? Now, here's what happened. Jonah went out of the city. Now, this is, blows my mind. <laughs> it's like, do you not think that he should know by now this isn't going to happen? But sometimes we get convinced in our minds, right? So what does he do? He, he went out of the city on the east side and positioned himself to see what would happen. Now, remember, he said it would happen in what? 40 days. So he's got at least 30 days he's going to be sitting outside the city watching to see what happens. And he sits on the east side, which is interesting to me because if you think about where Nineveh is, to the east is desert, heat. The west side would be where the coastal winds would come and so forth. But he sits on the east side, okay, and builds himself a shelter, whatever he made it out of, okay. But the Lord prepared a plant to cover over Jonah and to provide him with shade. We don't know exactly what kind of plant it was. The word there is unknown to us. It obviously was a plant-type thing, but we don't know from the text what exactly which plant, but it was a plant. So here's a plant that grows up and one night covers over Jonah and provides shade for him during the day, covers his head. You know, that'd be kind of like if you're working and you go sit under a tree, right, where it's cool, all right? So... Jonah was grateful for the plant. So he's got a good heart about the plant, right? Well, however, the Lord prepared a worm to damage the plant, and it died. Now, this is where I think it's interesting, because when you look at the text, it very clearly says, the Lord prepared a worm. What does that mean? Wasn't just that he created it. Remember, he prepared a whale, I mean, a fish to swallow him. Now he's prepared a worm to kill the plant. Direction. So God is the one directing this worm to kill the thing that's providing shade. What you see here is God's sovereignty. Isn't that interesting? So, okay, then the Lord prepared, okay, again, the Lord prepared 
the sun and a bitter east wind to beat down on Jodah. So again, you see the same thing being said. God prepared, directed, what? The sun, the heat of the day, the sun, and an east wind, a bitter east wind. Now, where would that east wind be blowing from? From the desert. How hot would that be? Definitely different than the winds coming from what? The Mediterranean, right? To beat down on him. So now this plant's gone, and God prepared misery. Wow. So once again, here's what happens. Jonah said it would be better if I was dead. Once again, he wishes he to die. So this is where he's at. He, he, he just wants to die now, okay? So then you see the final interaction with Jonah and the Lord, okay? So Jonah asked me, excuse me, the Lord asked Jonah if it was right for him to be angry about the plant dying. So he says, is it right for you to be angry about this plant dying? Okay, is it right for you? By the way, is it right for him to be angry about the plant? No, because he really didn't have anything to do with it, right? He just benefited from it. Some of you might be thinking, well, no, I think it is right. I mean, it, I, would, I, would, I would be angry because my shade is gone. You know what I'm saying? But you didn't have any control over it. So choose what you get angry over. Well, Jonah replied it was right for him to be angry to the point of death. Now, that's a crazy statement. What does that mean? He's a drama queen is what you're saying, okay? <laughs> Jonah's a drama queen, okay. Wow, that's, that's a quote. Bruce Hollipeter, Jonah's a drama queen. Okay. All right, tweet that out. Okay, so. All right, now, what? this is more than anger now, isn't it? He's saying it's okay for him to be angry till when? Till he's dead, to the point of death. Yeah, I'm, it's okay for me to be angry. For, is that right? No, no, you're to be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, remember? You're, it's okay to be angry, but you got to deal with it. He's not dealing with it. It's okay. He's saying, I'm, I can be angry to the point of death. Well, the Lord pointed out that Jonah had pity on a plant that he did not plant. So he has pity on a plant that he had nothing to do with. He didn't cultivate it. He didn't plant it. He didn't do anything about this plant, but he has pity on the plant that he has nothing, no involvement with. A plant he has pity on it. Well, the Lord questions why he should not also have pity on 120,000 ignorant people and animals. Basically, God says, so you can have pity on this plant that you had nothing to do with. Can I not have pity on 120,000 people who don't know what's right from wrong and the many animals that are with them? Can I not have pity on them? Yeah, isn't it interesting that the prophets would tell us, Isaiah, that his ways are what? Not our ways, right? God has pity on us and 
Yeah, are we thankful for that? Yeah, should we not also have pity? Okay. Should should we not also? And then the book ends. That's the end of it. What do you think he's trying to get communicate with that statement? Because that's the final thing. Should I not have pity? What do you, what do you think the message is there? Doesn't tell us how Jonah responds. Okay. Actually, because he's a drama queen, like Bruce has titled him, I I don't think he responded well. But the but the writer doesn't tell us how he responded. But he responds by basically, the writer basically leaves it with the one who really matters the most, and that's who? God. Because it reveals his heart. And what's his heart? He takes pity on the wicked. You know, it's interesting to me, if you go over to 2 Peter I'll turn there. 2 Peter chapter 3. Okay, here it is, verse 9. First of all, he's addressing the issue that some people are like, why isn't the Lord here? Why hasn't he come back yet? That obviously isn't true. He's not going to come back. So he says in uh, verse 8, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. So he's talking about God's timing. Okay. Then he says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. So he's not slack concerning his whole issue of coming, returning, okay? As some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us and not willing that any should perish, but that all should what? Come to repentance. So do we want Jesus to come back? Yeah, yeah, we do. But the reality is, is that in the meantime, he's leaving it open for what? People to get saved. He's not slack concerning his promise, but he's what? Willing that none should perish. So there's still hope for who? For our loved ones, the people we work with, our neighbors, people in our world who don't know Jesus, that they would what? Come to Christ. Why? Because he's a God who's merciful. Long-suffering, willing to relent, right? Now, one day it will happen. Praise God, it will happen. But then this is the reality of who God is, right? Next week, we're going to get into Micah, the prophet Micah. We'll do an introduction for him next week.